welcome to the Alongsider podcast. And today uh, we introduce Andy Economides, a uh, Greek Cypriot by birth um, and a wholly lovely person, um, somebody who has come alongside me, actually. Um, and you'll hear from his story how he's come al- alongside others. Uh, initially, um, someone digging into a bin for food in North London uh, that tugged at the heartstrings um uh, and the, and he responded to that and he's responded to a lot more he started off as an uh, engineer uh, and ultimately uh, founded a technical uh, and engineering college uh, in a fairly remote part of nigeria uh, his story is fascinating and inspiring i hope you enjoy it i'm sure you will it's different from some of the other ones um but the passion is there as the alongside a uh, and we explore that together. Hi there, Philip Crocker from the Alongside a Podcast. Uh, I can't tell you how delighted I am to welcome you, each and every one of you, and also my guest today, um, who is a lovely uh, friend who, who I see as Andreas. I know him as Andy. But uh, his true name is Andreas Economides. Uh, welcome, Andy, uh, to to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Um, I was just sort of outlining to you. Um, you know, you asked me who's this for. Well, I guess it's for anybody who's interested. But what we're trying to do is to share some stories about how different people have found their place in different seasons or different life stages um, and how they've taken it. Yours is a very interesting story, um, uh, I think, because you you started life off, um, as as I understand it, as an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've been engineering. Um, um, the, participa- the participation with the great what is the one um who is god you're you're a vicar but look let 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 me shut up um for a change and and let me introduce ask you to introduce yourself i often ask guests to say um would you introduce yourself uh as if you were introducing yourself and how might that be what might somebody else who was introducing you uh say about you to introduce yourself uh hello philip um well, I, I'm an author. I've written 12 books. I, I used to be an engineer. I trained in engineering, in mechanical engineering. And then I worked in industry for a few years for a parachute company. And then um, I left that and, and decided to uh, to do something completely different and work for a church. I did that for 10 years. I was on the staff of, a, of a, an amazing church on the south coast of England and then after after doing that for for a long time, I decided to start my own charity, Soteria Trust, and somehow ended up in West Africa, Nigeria, where I've spent much of my life uh, on on going there and doing various things there in education and training and young people. So that's a little bit about 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 my background. Yeah, that's quite a that's quite a um, distance you've been travelling. Uh, perhaps we can sort of unpick a little bit of that as as we go along. And I'm I'm interested. Uh, can I ask you just uh, going back to the beginning? There, you mentioned engineering. My son did engineering. Uh, he chose engineering at Nottingham. Um, you weren't at Nottingham, did you? No, no. Um, where did you do your? Engineering? I I I studied in London. Right. Yeah. So. Um, but he chose engineering because he thought there would be the fewest number of essays to do. Uh, and also there were more girls because he did product design and manufacturing engineering. Um, I'm not sure he was right in any of that, but but the, uh, possibly he did. But he does, does does something else. But I mean, what took you to engineering in the beginning? I'd, well, even at the age of about 14 or 15, I was in I remember being in secondary school and reading some leaflets. And it's amazing what impacts you through in your life you can just read something and be influenced by it i think i've had a leaning towards something practical and i and i like the idea of um of being trained as an engineer and 
it spoke about doing a, a national diploma and a high national diploma. And I thought, that is what I would like to do. And that is, that is what happened. I did a national diploma in eng general engineering, specializing in mechanical and production, and then mm. went on from there to, to get a higher national certificate. And in those days, even with a higher national certificate, you could get a fantastic job. Yeah. I had companies wanting me, ringing me up. I had to tell one I've already got a job. It, it was it was incredible. In fact, many engineers at that time who ran companies, they preferred someone that was a practitioner, not not just with a degree, without without much experience in engineering. That's the courses that they did. They did an apprenticeship four days in a factory or something and a little bit of studying, and that's what I did. So that's how it began as a schoolboy. And it's it's interesting how that is the road I followed for a while. Because um, it's interesting, uh, I would I just observe that, uh, well, I, there's two types of motivation about learning. Um, maybe there's more than two, but uh, there's the, those who love learning for the sake of learning. And uh, we've all witnessed people at school who who just love learning new things and knowledge, and it, and it broadly goes up here, into here. Um, and then there are those, and I'm one of them, uh, who prefers to learn um, to apply it in a practical way. So that's sort of what I'm hearing, and that is that is a sort of most psychologists would recognise that that would be a different motive um, around it. But uh, I also remember, as you were saying there, that um, you describing um, this is going to uh, that your father um, either helped you buy or bought you. I can't quite remember what you said. Um, your first car mm. and how you described your first car. Um, <laughs> how, what did that give you having your first car? Well, I mean, the obvious thing it gave me was was a tremendous amount of freedom. Yeah, I you know, and I. I remember um, I had someone, I, I met somebody, that, I, I was waiting at a bus stop one day and I saw a man looking in a bin, looking for food. This is in North London. I was I was studying engineering, but I had my own car as well. And I, and I gave him some food and we, um, I, I arranged to meet him. And uh, a few days later, and that was the start of a friendship with with someone that was looking in a bin, looking for food. Mm. And this is a guy that um, looked like a tramp and smelt and just walked the streets of North London. Mm. But I remember in that first car, one day, um, it was a white escort. Um, uh, I collected him or met him somewhere. And he's sitting next to me on the passenger seat. And he brought into that first car some black and white photographs of when he was young, healthy and amazing. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing photographs of his motorbike as he toured England and Wales. Mm -hmm. So he was a young man who was about 45 now, who had multiple sclerosis, that if you looked at him, you'd think he's a tramp walking the streets of London, mm -hmm. a dirty man. Um, um, you know, in a terrible state. And he's sitting next to me in my first car and um, uh, and we were having some food. I took some food with me and I thought, how wonderful is this? Mm. That this man, and I was just a young guy of about 21. This, this man here is sharing his past with me. Mm. He's sharing his life with me in that first car. So it enables you to do things that, you wouldn't otherwise do like help your friends or go to college. I mean, that's the car that I used to to go from home to uh, the polytechnic when I was a student in engineering every day. And without it, you know, I couldn't have got to that remote venue. What did you uh, What did you learn about that that man? Well, as I say, um, what I learned was. Um, he was once normal, mm. amazing, healthy, and now was sick. Um, um, I think I learned more about myself. Mm. Um, I, I did learn things about his past and where he lived and 
that he had to live with his sister, in fact. <clears throat> and um, I remember I took him home one day when my dad was away on business. Otherwise, you know, I couldn't have done that. Mm. And my mum opened the door and, I, and she said, who's that? I mm. said, it's, it's John. Mm. It's my friend John. She said, "What well, you know, you couldn't have brought him home if your dad was here. I said, I know, mum, but he's not here. I brought him in and we made some food in the kitchen. So, you know, I learned that people appreciate being, being loved, mm. being spoken to. Mm. We became friends. Mm. And um, in, in the end, he died. But for six months, I would see him every few weeks. Mm. And what do you think he would have said about you? What would he? What would he say about you now? About because you see, you are the you were the alongsider, uh, and equally he was alongside you in that car. There's there's a you know there's a two way street. I, I doubt whether there was any other person in his life that stopped for him one day to speak to him, yeah. that became a friend, yeah. that took him food, that took him home that took him to church one day and in the quiet stillness of a Anglican church farted and, 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 the, and all the people around me in it could hear that. And I thought, I'm really, really happy. I was praising God that I took this man to church and he felt at home to fart in the <laughs> church that, uh, you know, I, I think he would say, this young man became a friend to me yeah. and I appreciated that. Yeah. And it's he, really, you know, it, it, I really appreciate what you're saying there. Cause I think this uh, coming alongside um, what I'm realizing is, um, is very human. I mean, it's obviously it's human, but in a way with, there's an amnesia about it because our systems and our processes um I just read a thing on the on on the BBC that in South Korea that there's a whole bunch of students who are suing the the the, the invigilator at a at a, of their there's some dreadful eight hour exam which they have to take uh, I couldn't think of anything worse um, and apparently they, he stopped the thing one minute thirty seconds early mm. uh, and they said it ruined the rest of the the, the exam. Blah, 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 blah. This whole thing about testing, and but I noticed about the you coming alongside the man in the bin, um, with the bin, etc. Um, there was no structure to that. It was actually purely a, a move of your heart, presumably, to to come alongside. But that, that's what that, that's what that's what the world needs. That's what that's what I've done all my life. You know, I remember once knocking at the door, and. Um, uh, uh, where I was working when I was working for the church. And um, I knocked at the door and did a little survey with a gentleman. And then six months later, I went back to his home, knocked on the door and um, invited him to an event that our church was, was putting on. And he came to that. Now, th this guy was an ordinary man that worked in, in plumbing, selling plumbing parts as a salesman. And, um, so I knocked at his door and he came to this event. Well, the short story is this. This man, within, within, within a few weeks, he actually decided to become a Christian and mm. live for Christ. Mm. And this man became a vicar in the end. And to do that, you have to go to a vicar factory, right. which he did in Bristol, right. did his two years and became ordained as a Christian minister. Now, where did that come from? I knocked at a door and did a survey with a stranger. Mm. And I felt an impulse to go back to him. Now, no one told me to do that, except a little voice in my heart and head that, that here is an opportunity. This man would welcome you. And, and, and he did. And his wife, Barbara. And, um, uh, I mean, there've been, there've been, there have been so many people um, that have come alongside me and I've come alongside these people. And that for this family and for him was the most significant thing. He would say, that is the most significant thing that ever happened to me, that a stranger came to me one day, told me some good news, mm. which changed my life 
my philosophy, my outlook, and even transform me from the inside out. <laughs> and you know, you know, and and that's what that's what that's what's happened, you know, in my life. And I'm just thankful to be a part of that of that transformation coming alongside people. Because yeah. what was coming up for me, as you were saying that now, there'll be people listening to this who will say, uh, this man, if it, I'm not being disrespectful, I'm just being disrespectful, actually, by even using the word, but this man is a God botherer. But actually, you weren't bothering God, because God God doesn't actually need bothering. Um, God is is there. Um, what 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 I was interested in, I mean, I'm a Christian as well, um, and, and on a journey, you know, um, I started off Roman Catholic, uh, became hot defense, became an Anglican, and I'm on a journey. And what I realize is that all of this is so much less about labels, and we put labels on us everywhere, you know, ADHD, you know, da da da, or all of these different things. Um, but that uh, ultimately we are defined by who we are and what we do. My, my nan used to say, clever is as clever does. And and I wanted to sort of connect this uh, to your, the, you use this word practical, which is applied. Um, and this finding one's place and taking one's place, you know, it takes a, a number of forms. And I just just wondered, as from your perspective now, looking back over your um, your, your your career, how would you just define the place that you you chosen? What would you what if we're going to give it a label? What would it be the label that you would call it? That, that this finding your place and taking it. Um, I I don't I don't know. Um, I feel that the thing that we've 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 majored on building a, a school. We've got three projects in West Africa, Nigeria specifically. I feel that I was born for that. Mm. It's a very challenging place to visit. Could I ask you, actually, perhaps it would be really useful for the listeners just to hear a little bit more, because you, you said uh, a little bit about your how you became a priest and um, and in different those different settings, but how did you actually sort of move from being you know, on the coast at a big church um, into doing what you were doing, what you just described there? Well, one day, a gentleman from Bristol, um, Corky Davy, he was going to uh, Nigeria, West Africa, and uh, he invited me to join him with, with two of his friends. And I, somehow, I ended up going. Um, he was the leader. I tagged along. This was 1991. Right. And it was, a, for me, I got there, I was frightened to death. Nigeria at the time was military rule. It was the landing at Lagos Airport, for example, to start with on this two and a half week visit to Nigeria was so intimidating. You could cut the, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. That's how it felt like... I remember the first day or two being absolutely frightened and praying the most desperate prayers um, to God about it all. And um, when I got back after two and a half weeks, I got to Heathrow and I fell on the floor. I bowed on the floor. I didn't fall because I tripped. I fell on the floor, kissed the floor. Were you in good company with that? Yes, yes, I, yes. But but I I genuinely did that, and I I, I remember saying to myself, uh, to my God, it is finished. I'm never going back to that place. Six months later, I get this stirring to go back, and so the next year I went and took six others with me, nurses, both male and female, um, people that could teach, could encourage, that could help in practical ways. Um, and, 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 and so that was the second trip where I was the leader. And then I just kept going year after year. And then in the end, I felt we need to build a college. I haven't got any money for a college. Can I, what, what, what prompted that? How did that come about? Well, I, I was involved with education when I was out there. 
And, and we were helping young people, 16 to 20, uh, to go to college. And I we were providing some sponsorship and some funding. And then my friend who ran the college died out the blue. And so the college began to suffer. So we, I began to feel with some friends that came alongside me, we began to feel together, we ought to, we should um, build a college. Uh, so that's what we've done. And uh, people go to the college there and they, they can get a diploma. Uh, they can get some skills to start a job or to start a business or to get, get employment or go for further education in in engineering, software engineering, hardware engineering, business management, IT, and this kind of thing. So short courses, long courses. So we've helped about 650 so far um, young people on a scholarship. That means we have a UK sponsor to pay for them to go to go and study. And we've got we've got up to 40 at any one time. And at the moment we're absolutely full. We've got 40 students living in dormitories. And the criteria is if they're needy or poor or vulnerable. Uh, if they're if they're if they are wealthy, they don't get a scholarship. And in fact, nearly all of our students are needy or vulnerable and they're on scholarship. So it's made a big difference mm. to those 650 and their families. And we've we've got we've got beautiful stories of, you know, John meeting Victoria. They're they're in work. Their lives are transformed. They're married now. You know, I, I just a few weeks ago I met Joy, and Joy was sponsored from when she was about six or seven as a little girl. Wow. Uh, you know, and and she's finished her national diploma. I said to Joy and her family at the graduation a few weeks ago. I said, "Where are, what are you doing now, Joy?" She said, I'm at Leeds University in Ibadan, Nigeria. So, you know, and she's her life has been transformed. We've given people the chance that they wouldn't have had. Mm. And, you know, and we've only done that because people have come alongside us and we've come alongside them now. Mm. It, it, it occurred to me as you were telling that lovely story uh, that um, you... Uh, went to Polytechnic to do engineering in North London. I mean, that would be a university today of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, you basically were providing what you had. I mean, the, the experience you had, you actually... So in other words, you'd been through it, so you sort of knew what it was, but not necessarily all the technical bit. But the, the, the other thing that... that um, I don't know if I should say this, I'm going to say it, that, that, that always uh, I was inspired by was the fact that you were you were enabling a very practical education around this, some of these business sciences and uh, technical uh, information. And, and it is overtly Christian. Um, I just wondered, are all of them Christian? Are, there, are, are any of them, you know, do they come well, from other... No, they no um we we have christians that come we have people that come from christian backgrounds and we have met, we've had many students and still have students who come from muslim backgrounds mm -hmm. all kinds of backgrounds what do you notice about that that when when they come together the the um in, in the community of the learning community i uh, it, it's do you know it's lovely mm. <laughs> I, I love it when I see a Muslim student, I love it. When I see any student, any student, I love it. And when I see them together, really nicely together, mm. living together, because, you know, they're living in dormitories for up to yeah. two years. Mm. So that they don't come to school and then they go home. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's love. It's a beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because because it's it's interesting because I know I mean I went to school here in the in the UK and there were Christian traditions which go went back hundreds or yeah because it was quite an old school and the same the one here yeah, I think this school was founded in fifteen plonk um, in, here in Cranbrook uh, by the vicar you know um, and these seeds sown so this was sort of the way things are done. We, we're sort of in an age where we tend to separate things, um, give it labels, and you know, and 
with a desire of um, for inclusivity, I think, um, and yet the outcome is one of exclusion. Uh, and you can be excluded for a whole load of reasons, like MS, if you've got illness or whatever. You never, we're never very far. Um, but the, um, I just wondered that this. What's next for the college? Do, do you see what is the? Because uh, you picked it up after there was somebody, unfortunately, very sadly died. So you, there was a gap. So you found your place through filling a gap, and you took that place. Um, is that a pattern or was that an exception in 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 your life well yeah we 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 picked up in the sense that okay we're going to build our own soteria college what does soteria mean by the way it's a, it's a greek word for salvation wholeness peace well-being so would that be like shalom yes it, it, it exactly it's mm -hmm. like it's like an equivalent but it's bigger than shalom Wow. Okay. <laughs> How is it bigger than sh Shalom? <laughs> because when Jesus healed somebody in the New Testament, you you see the word salvation. Mm. When he when he brought people hope, we see salvation. When eternal life is about salvation, so it's about well being, about peace, about healing, about the afterlife. Mm. Mm it's it's the whole thing um it's very it's very broad mm. yeah no and i i i i get that that's really interesting and the the thing that strikes me about how we reach people is by what we do actually um because we can talk a good game uh, and a lot of people do talk a good game politicians talk a good game um I, I this is a bit of a thing well i remember listening uh, to the radio a little while ago and it was a historian uh who was a classical greek specialist mm. and um she was asked uh, about democracy because democracy came from you know the greek and mm. uh, and somebody said what would um th those people who through which democracy democracy came. What would they think of our democracy and, and how we go about it? And and she, she was a woman. She said, um, "Well, the first thing is that they would think you're off your trolley, um, getting people to vote for you in when clearly you're going to bribe them at election time uh, with this, that, and the other um, to to vote for me." So um, she said, "Well, what would what would the Greeks have done?" and um, and she said, oh, they would have drawn lots to choose who should do it. So that's that's the lottery. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> allowing the fates or whatever, however you describe that. But it, it, it strikes me that um, without an education, I mean, I, I work with another charity who we'll hopefully have on the, 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 um, the podcast called Nudge Education. And they work, it's a commercial organization uh, run, run by a lovely Brazilian um, who was the youth worker, actually, as it happens down here. Um, but he, um, and he, he wants the children who are excluded to have a life worth living. Um, and that, and it's actually on the sort of blurb. But it's very practical because without an education, a nudge is nudging them back into education. Because without an education, you'll probably end up in a looking in a bin somewhere, um, on the streets, you know, in prostitution, prison, or whatever. I mean, statistics. Yes, without an education, um, your future is not bright. We were in Nigeria a few weeks ago looking at some land. Because you know, you asked a moment ago about about mm. what do you hope for the future. Well, mm. we we need to upgrade our college to become a, a monotechnic, and one of the requirements to become a monotechnic from the government is you have to have a minimum amount of land and plans about that what you're going to do as a monotechnic. So, you we we may be forced to buy some land if we want to become a monotechnic. So we're looking at this land in, in southern Nigeria, in Ibadan, where our current school is. And we came across um, 
five children playing in the river um and um they they should be in school but they're not there's ten and a half million children not in school in Nigeria and uh, so we ended up seeing the chief in the village and the whole village is gathered around me and, and our team because we're saying to them we'd like to school some of your village children put them in school um, would you like that can we work with you um, uh, and so we want to come alongside these children that are very that that won't finish secondary school so what happens when a child, wherever they live in the world, can't finish, doesn't finish secondary school? What kind of future do they have? Um, it, it may not be a bright future. It may not be. It may be, but it may not be. So, so that's one of the things that we're currently doing. We're looking at helping some of these village children um, that are very poor, mm. very vulnerable, very needy. And for us, that would mean uh, them boarding, feeding them, um, drinking safe water, educating them from from for the next five, six, seven, eight years until they finish secondary school. Mm. And then we would give them a continuation of their scholarship to come to our Soteria College. And, that, and, and, and it's not just about education. There are whole... Um, in, I don't know how to put this, insides, their minds, their hearts would be transformed yeah. by what they would receive mm -hmm. from us and from Christ. They would be transformed. And we've seen that in hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. um, their lives are transformed. So, you know, that is what we want to do. We want to come alongside them. And we, we kind of met them by accident, but it, it's not an accident. We were looking at land. And we thought that was the main thing. But there was another plan, yeah. uh, you know, and, and that plan was for us to meet these children and to give them an opportunity. So we're waiting on those two things to hear from the village children. We call them the river children because they were playing in the river. Yeah. And, and, we're, and we're, we're, we're hoping that the village will say, yeah, we'd love that. Oh, so, like so they that. didn't. They didn't immediately say yes, please. No, no, because it's 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 a decision that the village will make, with the chief very much involved. So we're waiting to hear in January um, about going ahead on that. If they wish us to, we're happy to help them to do that. Brilliant. I just wondered, uh, do you think there's anything to, uh, for uh, the UK to learn from this? I'm thinking in the context of education, uh, that what you've sort of learned from working there. Oh. Well, I think that I think that we've 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 been able to we've probably raised and spent somewhere in the region of half a million or 600,000 pounds. We're only a small charity. And, you know, we are, we are, we are, we are what needed at the moment funding so that we can become a monotechnic. And, and we're, we're needing help from partners in the UK so that we can educate more children at our other project, which is simply to send children to school. Mm. And and so, you know, it's a it's amazing. Um, um, you know, most of our funding comes from just ordinary individuals, mm. um, like like the lady in Aberdeen. She she came up to me one day when I was speaking in Aberdeen, and she said, "I want to give you my house." I said, "Thank you, give it to me." And she did exactly that. She had one house. She had two teenagers. She was a widow. She's not wealthy, but she owned one house on the, the most remote island off mainland Scotland called Unst. And we sold it and, and made £33,000 only <laughs> from this little cottage on an island off Scotland. And we and we put that towards building 
the school, you know, or like the lady that came up to me one day with her baby in her hand. And she said to me, my husband says it's okay. I say it's okay. I want to give you this ring. It was her wedding ring. Mm -hmm. She says, I haven't, we haven't got anything else to give you. We want you to sell it, which we did for 400 pounds at an auction. And we, we want you to put it towards building your school. So, you know, this has not come from governments or wealthy people. It's come from ordinary people, most of it, that just want to help um, other children or young people um, in, in Nigeria. And we've got 28 staff that, that work for our school in Nigeria. So as people have come alongside me, come alongside the trust, people like yourself, yeah. ordinary people in, in this amazing Great Britain, we've been able to, to transform hundreds of lives, hundreds of families in, in, in an African country. So, you know, I'm pleased about, pleased about that. Yeah. And I, I think the, the thread that I'm hearing is this, this, um, the preparation that for what you did, I mean, and have done, um, uh, you couldn't probably have, have, the finding of your place it wasn't because you'd done this and you did that. It wasn't a sort of standard sequential thing. It was actually about being recognizing you were equipped to respond to the opportunity. Um, and I wonder whether, uh, as I, I've noticed in the work that I do, that seeing is believing. You know, when we can see it, it helps us believe. I'm thinking there is a school, there is a college. There's you can look it up. I think you've got a you've got a isn't there a, a tie up with another university or college in in the UK that you work? With? Yeah, we're um, affiliated to Chichester College, and for ten years they were given their diplomas. Okay, is that still is that still? There? They don't give their diplomas. We give a better diploma now. Um, of but we're still <laughs> we but but in those ten years we really needed their help. Yeah, they were amazing, yeah. and um, I'm thankful to, to Chichester College West Sussex, but yeah. we're still affiliated to them. Okay, because it, it it seems to me that the uh, in the finding of one's place, it is not a solo exercise. It is always about some kind of, as I say, coming alongside this collaboration, working together, and I can't help feeling that when you see people and all things working together. Uh, you see things come to life. That's actually how they're designed to be uh, at their best. Um, and yet, there's something, and we now know a lot more about the brain and neuroscience. That this is this is running a um, um, probably a bit like the ego. It's there to protect itself, and it's heart, and that's not who we are. It's a false self, but who we really are is what emerges and that lady who gave the the house and her um and the lady who gave her ring i mean some would say she was off her trolley you know um i would say she's on the trolley <laughs> these people are the most important people mm. <laughs> and it's generous isn't it it's this generosity uh, mm. which, which requires but the, the thing that, that inspires me about you is that you you are always very are you always the same. I've known you for quite a few years, and uh, uh, you always stir, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a great gift actually. But it's it's stirring in an enabling way um, that um, that enables people to move on to to you know to take their place actually to well, find you, their place. You know, I if you look at the life of Jesus, he, he was many things, and that's one of the things he was himself. Mm. He stirred things up, not because he was a menace or a problem, but because he knew what, what could be. Mm. He did that. He really challenged his society. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, he was the, the most... Uh significant revolutionary so i i want to take a leaf out of his book and 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 i think that's what 
I'm do I've done for for decades, and I'm as I'm getting older, I'm doing that more and more. I'm taking a leaf out of that book. Mm. Um, to be to be honest, to be straightforward, to stir things up, to challenge, um, so that so that we can look at things and become become better and and and, and change things for the better. It strikes me also this theme with you is like the, with the, from the man looking in the bin, which a lot of people would say, well, I can't do anything about that, you know, whatever. But you did do something. You befriended him. But the, the other thing was the children. Um, a lot of people say, well, that's impossible. You can't do it. But you've actually done something. And it's very practical, actually, because education is, um, is... It's interesting. The word education, which comes from the Latin, um, but actually the... the it, the word means to rear, as in rearing cows or sheep, so to be who they were created to be, actually. That's what it means. And then Shakespeare took it and uh, called it education and called it schooling. Mm. And we've made it, I think, a lot of it's a box, actually. Um, mm. You know, it's a ticking thing. Uh, I mean, I'm saying that from somebody who the nun said, you know, well, I spent most of my time looking out of the window. But I know of initiatives now in the UK where um, business, uh, Tomorrow's Company is one of them, an organisation that uh, works with governance in, in business and believes that business is a force for good in society, um, are going into schools now and they're running programmes with 15-year-olds in the UK, uh, funded by um, commercial organisations. And it's to introduce business principles as a learning exercise and what's happening is it's bringing enthusiasm to those children that would otherwise be looking out of the window because they just didn't get the why should i get a gcse why should i but they could connect with this because this is about enterprise this yes. is about creation this is about collaboration and what's been happening is they've been infecting the school and the school has become more enterprising and, yes. and what you're doing is infecting community um, with a different mindset, which is one of working together, collaboration, possibilities and everything else. Uh, and it's because often here in this country, we hear when things are going wrong, the NHS or school, it, everybody immediately goes to money. Mm. Uh, and, and I'd suggest that finding one's place and uh, taking one's place is not about money. It's about literally the the inspiration to say, that's what i could do that, that there's a place and i've probably been nudged along the way by someone else to take the courage to do that because it usually takes courage um and it and going you said going to nigeria that first time was 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 a scary exercise i just wondered knowing what you know now what might it have been useful to have known or have alongside in order to, you know, take your find your place and take your place there? Is there anything that you would say? And if we said an alongsider, what would be the qualities of someone that would have been useful for you at that time? Or maybe you had it, maybe it was all, all there. But And if you did, what would you say were the qualities of the alongside? I think I think looking back over the years, um, uh, I, I can see that uh, that there were some things that we could have done differently and better. And I think that if I had alongside her with me at that time um, to, to talk to me or to say, well, "What about if we try this or do it this way?" That would have been uh, decisions and some mistakes that we had made. I think that. And also, you know, when when you personally make a life choice, um, say about um, uh, marrying this person or going out with this person, you when you when when we make personal when we make personal decisions, it also affects everything, doesn't it? It affects what we do and our work and everything. So, I think that. If I had an alongsider, that alongsider would have had to have been very, very strong because I was convinced that going down this route in this relationship 
was okay. Could have been something else. That if I had an alongsider at that moment, that almost made me, stopped me, perhaps a little bit physically, mm. without hurting me, you know, got in their car, drove down to my house and said, we're really concerned about what you're about to do. We'd like you to rethink, press pause, mm. make sure you're getting this right, Andy. Uh, I would have, I would have really have liked that. Mm. Think I could have done with that, could have needed that. Um, you know, sometimes we're so convinced we're right, but actually we're we're dead wrong. And um, we've made the decision, we've made a mistake, or it might be more serious than a mistake. And uh, I think that's when we need a, an alongsider. That experience, however, has helped me to warn other people yeah. Um, there's been several other people that 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 because I've been through that, I've been able to help them, mm. make them think twice about something that they're about to do and be very careful because uh so I've tried to come alongside them yeah. in those circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I like that. I love that because I think that to me, we need alongside us. We need to be alongside us, and we need it alongside us. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a two way, two way street. And you did. I, I remember you saying to me that it, more latterly with Soteria, you've you've had some wonderful people alongside you in the charity. Um, I don't just mean financially, but I mean in in, in, in with other um, to help your thinking. Yes, I mean, I meet with my chairman, who's a trustee and chairman of Soteria, very regularly. We meet two or three times a month at least. Mm. Um, we usually meet in Costa or for breakfast for two or three hours. And he's been um, a wonderful alongsider, especially in the last uh, four or five years. What qualities would you say uh, uh, he or she has? They got it. They understood. They saw the truth. They got the nub of the of the thing. Mm. They had discernment. Mm. Uh, they could see clearly uh, where I could not see clearly. Um, uh, they had empathy. Um, they sympathized. They, they they stuck with me. They stood with me. They prayed for me. Mm. They, they they were encouraging this will pass um you know th this it, it will be okay andy um uh, uh, so they gave me their time mm. 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 yeah and and it, i mean to to conclude um are there any tips that you give anybody who is moving from engineering into um, something completely different, etc. Or they're facing those, uh, or the men at the bin, or any, any tips. Get it right. I mean, I was called out of engineering to do something completely different. Um, I'm thankful that um, I followed that calling. Um, it was it was a it was a wonderful wonderful decision to have made. I had people that came alongside me, like my friend John, um, who who really helped me at that time. They said, "Andy, do it." You know, it was then my friend John who saw this job advertised um, uh, uh, to come out of engineering to, to work for a church on the south coast. He saw it advertised in the newspapers in those days. And um, I didn't see it. I wouldn't have seen it. Mm. I didn't. I didn't used to get that paper. Mm. He was coming to the house that weekend. He's. I remember what he said. He said, "This job advertised is made for you. This is your job. The description, what they're wanting, the people that are are offering it." And I. And I. I got the into. I got the to the interview, and I was there for ten years. Wow. And and so. I'm glad I made the jump. 
Um, but I am so thankful because we engineers, we think in a certain way. We all think and all engineers think in a certain way, especially mechanical engineers. Mm. And I that background has been um, very, very, very valuable, valuable in building the school. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I, I can believe that. And I, I, I often say in coaching with people, we work in people systems uh not thing systems um whereas a lot of the way we set things up are as things um but an engineer uh, i was was working with a group of engineers actually and one of them said um said uh, people think that an engine works by putting petrol in it or fuel in it and it doesn't it it works by having the right components in the engine and then oil to make sure they all work together um which I think is a really, you know, and that ultimately is what it's about, ultimately, isn't it? You know, and you can use metaphor or spiritual or otherwise, actually, which sort of speaks into that. Um, Andy, I, it's been a real pleasure. Um, I knew it would be, and I thank you. I hope everybody has enjoyed this. I'll put some details of Soteria on the podcast if anybody wants to be in contact or know any more about it. But I can tell you it's, it's amazing work um and you live an extraordinary life in different places doing different things thank you for coming alongside me thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, to speak to you today thank you very much